Agent Dale Cooper. Gordon, I hope you haven't been waiting too long. I didn't just get here. I've been waiting the whole afternoon to see you. Gordon, what can I do for you? No matter whatsoever. No apology necessary. Gave me a chance to meet the local law enforcement team. A great bunch. Cooper, you remind me today of a small Mexican chihuahua. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch on the Idle Thumbs Network. This week, we're discussing the 14th episode of Twin Peaks, Demons. Demons. Yeah, I'm Chris Remo. Oh, I'm Jake Rodkin. I like that that new intro flow. Thanks, Jake. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're talking about Demons this week. It was directed by Leslie Linka Glatter and was written by Harley Payton and Robert Engels, kind of like some of the staple crew of Twin Peaks, it seems yeah, like at this point. Classic and it, director, classic writers. Yep, and it first aired November 3rd of 1990. Uh, so okay, in this uh, yeah in this episode um, Donna and James reconnect. Gordon Cole arrives. Audrey is reunited with a dubiously relieved father. Shelley and Bobby are frustrated by a comatose Leo, and the Ghostwood affair becomes even further complicated. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It can't stop. I guess maybe it's yep. stopping now. It's close. Yeah. Um, it seems close to stopping. Um, man, I don't know. What do you want to talk about first? Uh, well, we can talk about the sort James, Donna, Maddie, Harold stuff. <laughs> okay, let's, the, let's, the, the, the current teen crew, I guess. I mean, let's talk about, I let's think talk... Harold's an honorary teen, maybe. Oh man, um, he he's more melodramatic in this episode than any teen has ever been on this show. I think. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, <laughs> I thought that was strange because well, the last week ended on that the sort of cliffhanger, I guess, in quotes of Harold like mm-hmm. screaming while clawing his face. And mm-hmm. I guess they they felt like people are going to be just on the edge of their seat trying to figure out what the heck's going on with Harold and the secret diary. Because the episode has the opening credits and then it has those shots of orchids. Then it just cuts immediately to to Harold like screaming more. Mm-hmm. And then when that scene's over, they're like, okay, whew, we got that out of the way. The thing that the audience was just couldn't wait to hear. Now let's play the rest of the credits for the episode. <laughs> Like they, they, yeah, it was a weird structural thing. I mean, it's kind of cool, kind of cold opening thing, but it was like, I don't yeah. know if, I don't well, know I mean, Harold scratching his face. So uh, speak, speaking of the opening, I guess, well, one, it opens with like a really almost, I would say almost suggestive, like deep red flower shot. Um, and then a bunch of, you know, a bunch of other orchids. Um, there's that. And then similarly, I feel like I could be making this up, but I, I feel like episodes directed by Leslie Linkaglatter often use establishing shot or use like, um, no, that could be true. Her episodes just like are all about those. Yeah. Because this episode also has the, as just an owl shot and also has got the blowing um, trees. Yeah. It's got that really dramatic, great Northern pan uh, into the the, waterfall. Yeah. Right. Well, so there's the, there's the, uh, there's the waterfall shot. Um, that like crossfades uh, into the roadhouse, mm-hmm. and then also at the end of the very end of the episode, there's like the most cheesily ominous shot in the entire episode of the Great Northern Hotel, following Cooper saying the Great Northern Hotel. <laughs> yeah. So that all happens in this episode, <laughs> and I enjoyed it all. Yeah. No, this this episode was 
heavy on the establishing shots. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's I think that's a thing that might just be up her alley. Um, yeah, some episodes anyway. do it more than others, but yeah, yeah man, yeah, for sure. I thought that Harold's whole like. I trusted you. I invested my heart and soul in you. Like you made me feel like I could return to the world and find something decent, but you're just like the others. I don't feel like this arc deserved anything resembling this scene for how much uh, was in the episode in the show so far. But maybe, maybe that's just me. Like it felt like Donna and Harold had this sort of connection going. And I really liked the sort of early the feelings of like these people sort of discovering each other and sort of opening up a little more than they should. But now mm-hmm. he's acting like, I don't know. It, it felt like it just flew way out of control in terms of. Yeah. Just a, I mean, I don't know because I think that there, there's a certain kind of a certain kind of person, especially someone who is sheltered in the way that Harold clearly is who often like their instinct will be to read into people in, you know, in a, in a kind of, um, aspirational way, you know, like I could, it's totally possible that that's just a kind of screenwriting shortcut and there's not actually, you know, and it's not actually justified fictionally, but I think there's also the possibility that he as a character is just that kind of person who sort of puts all his hope into someone before there's actually any, real justification for doing so and then if it doesn't work out he's just totally crushed Uh, yeah no that's that's fair it's fair enough uh (laughs) i guess that i'm just sort of bummed by the entire thing because him last episode and donna throughout this arc have been characters that i've liked and then to have it just end in this huge explosion that ends with james like saving them yeah that ends with james the the least desirable turn of events (laughs) it ends with james busting through the door somehow at like the the sort of climactic moment weirdly and then he was listening the whole time yeah and then further uh sort of the denouement of that is shitty james guitar song playing in the background while james and donna just revert back to to sap, sappy teen land. Yeah. Oh, it's a bummer. And then Harold's left alone, spraying his garden and crying. Yeah, that's true. Like frantically spraying. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it, it bummed me out because I, I don't know. I felt like the guy who plays Harold and just that character in general, I, I, if you were to ask me before we started this podcast, I would have been like, ugh, that guy, that storyline, blah. But like, I actually really enjoyed it on this. Uh, mm-hmm, me too. On this whole well, watch through. Especially but, the last episode, I would say. Huh? Especially, Especially last the, episode, yeah. but like, but now this episode just immediately like is, is is as quickly as it possibly can is painting over my good feelings towards this story arc, and it's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a bummer to me, but it's fine, I guess. It just yeah, he went from like there went from all this sort of subtext and really like just felt like there was a lot simmering with those characters to this where it just opens with that oh it's just like the acting isn't good. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Uh, I'll I'll get off of it now sorry um the only other real stuff i think going on in this whole thread with the teens with the teens yeah there's there's a little kind of interlude where donna tells sheriff truman about the diary and he doesn't particularly care um and then james meets maddie at the lake pier and apologizes for his behavior but she obviously liked the attention Mm -hmm. and then and then there's this whole just like doubling down on james shit where she's like (laughs) James, you and Donna belong together. It's the best thing. 
And then James just puts on this like stoic face, this like just to- w- sort of ga- like aloof gaze into the distance while – That's his like lo- his acting face. Yeah, yeah, I know. And he goes, it's just hard sometimes, you know? I want to try and make the way my heart feels last forever. It's kind of weird. Just uh, – there's some other stuff in there too I think. But that's just – I want to try and make the way my heart feels last forever. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it's good. Delivered at that face, the whole thing. Just there he is, James, prime James. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, James. Also, Maddie's leaving. Yeah, it was weird to hear them have Maddie actually straight up say, "I liked being Laura" and sort of experiencing Mm -hmm. people's feelings of who Laura was. Mm -hmm, I like Um, that because the last time she talked about this, it was when she was talking to Leland, where she was straight up saying, "This is absolutely the last thing that I want. This is a disaster." Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It's I don't know if there's a, a through thread to that or if it's just they're kind of just writing her saying interesting things that one might want to have Maddie say. But yeah, that actress is generally good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't know. Twin did you see, by the way, speaking of two of these characters, did you see that uh, both um, Cheryl Lee and Dana Ashbrook, who plays Bobby? So Cheryl Lee, who plays Maddie and Laura and Dana Ashbrook, who play who plays Bobby, are both confirmed to be in the. Yes, I did, I did see that. And I thought Showtime that they said yeah. their expectation, the two of them, was that Cheryl and Fenn would be back as well, but nothing has been said about that. Oh, I thought uh, I thought that did come out, like, also. Okay. Recently. Maybe not. No, maybe not. Actor who, who plays, plays James confirmed plays. as the new FBI agent working with Cooper. Yeah. yeah. James Hurley is back, but he went to the Academy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, that's about all I got on the teens. Okay, good. Strong opening yeah. <laughs> with our favorite thread, the teens. Well, you know, it's the opening of the episode. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's um, true. It does open with the teens. Yeah. Uh, uh, you want to talk about Gordon Cole? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I love Gordon Cole. I love David Lynch in this show. I was, I had forgotten, even though people on the forums had been talking about it and I like actually wrote in the forums, oh man, Gordon Cole's in this one. I'm, I'm stoked. When I was watching the episode and it was, you know, had that sort of ominous lake shot with all the credits over it. When David Lynch's name showed up in the middle of the, the credits, I was just like, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I know. I had the same experience. Yeah. Yep. What a good, weird character. It's it's like David Lynch as Gordon Cole feels like an injection of a lot of the stuff that I love about the first few episodes of the show. Like just, uh, I don't even know how to articulate that exactly, but just he like, he comes in and he's got the sort of, he has some of the air that, uh, that Cooper has when Lynch directs him, that just weird sort of off-kilter enthusiasm, plus just all of the strange miscommunications that he brings to the table while talking about incredibly serious stuff. Mm-hmm. And also David Lynch is just a hilarious weirdo when playing that character. Like, he seems to right. actually be just, like, loving well, the fact that this is somehow part of what he's <clears throat> doing on this show. It makes me... This actually... This sort of thing, along with, for example, David Lynch's turn on uh louis if you've seen those episodes of, of louis ck's show louis with david lynch and um just also the way david lynch presents himself in his weird youtube videos and stuff it makes me wonder what david lynch just the guy and not the character is like on the set is he just a normal guy or is he just always in sort of oddly loud and 
he's, and, he's got and to just be somewhere disconnected. in between. Yeah, right. Yeah. I imagine if David Lynch is ever explaining to you something emphatically that he feels is not going the way that he would like it to go, <laughs> it will just sound like Gordon Cole is talking to you. Yeah. Or, you know, just David Lynch personality. But he has to have a more soft-spoken sort of normal side when he's just sort of figuring stuff out. Like, how could you – yeah, given all of his public personas or persona, his public just sort of appearances, I can't imagine being in a story meeting with that guy trying to break down an episode <laughs> script, like trying to break down the plot of Twin Peaks. Oh, God, I know. Yeah. But so there has to just be I know. Uh, yeah, a, no, a normal nuanced side. But Gordon Cole is the public David Lynch just pumped up to hilarious mm-hmm. degrees. Yep. Oh, I love God, it though. My favorite part about all that is when he when he shows up and says, "Cooper, you remind me today of a small Mexican chihuahua," and then doesn't explain it at all. Yep. Like there's, Although there's Cooper no, asks no... about it later, and it sounds like it was probably code for something. But he doesn't say anything. He asks him about it later, and he just he just ignores it. Well, like Cooper asks doesn't him he? about the chihuahua, and then he and then he starts talking about the the note that he got with the chess move on it and stuff. That's when he says two and two doesn't always equal four and all that stuff. You think that was an answer about the chihuahua? I don't know, but I I sort of either either it was just a totally goofy affectation uh, that then in Fire Walk with Me sort of got turned into Gordon Cole's mo, or that's just what they oh think that's his right character I forgot is because about that he stuff. sort of yeah. in Fire Walk with Me spoiler yeah. Gordon Cole is in that movie awesome spoiler <laughs> <laughs> awesome spoiler that movie is guaranteed to have awesome scenes because this character's in it but uh he's got that he does that sort of weird. I'm saying something insane, but it turns out that I'm actually using like my mm-hmm. own version of bureau code. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's true. I, I didn't even think about that. But when it first comes out of his mouth, the, your read on it is totally what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I mean, similar to that, I guess, kind of just in, in that character's way, is him inside the room saying, I didn't want to say anything in front of the men, as he then cut outside and Truman and Hawk are just kind of... <laughs> Hanging out. We're just listening. <laughs> well, and then Truman comes in later and it's just like, just so you know, we can hear everything you say. And then yeah. Gordon's like, tell the sheriff to come in. Yeah. <laughs> when he's already inside the room. Yep. Oh, everything is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my, I think actually my favorite stuff about this whole thread is actually not Gordon Cole related. It's related to Mike, you know, slash Gerard. Mm-hmm. When he, you know, he's in, he's kind of undergoing withdrawal symptoms Okay, well, there's the whole thing with, like, the chess move and the note from Winter World. Like, I don't really think we're going to talk about that right now, right? Because nothing really happens with it. Yeah. Um, but uh, but when when they have Mike in there and and they're, you know, withholding his uh, his drugs, and then he sinks into his kind of other side, you know, his Mike, his Mike persona. Mm-hmm. And the thing I love about this is that he he goes into what feels to me basically – like classical Shakespearean stage actor gravitas. <laughs> and I love it. It's so, it's so, it's just totally different from how the actor portrays Gerard. You know, it's like, it's just completely different uh, sense of sort of commanding the room and like, and it's, it's totally put on obviously and like not naturalistic, but that's, you know, the point because he's, He's portraying. He's my name is Mike. I'm an inhabiting spirit. Like, right. Again, it's one of the times in this show where, like, sometimes the show is incredibly sort of vague and withholding about all of its supernatural stuff, and sometimes it's just as completely that's, direct as you could ever possibly yeah. imagine. And that's this is one of those cases, and I, I like it a lot. Is Gordon in the room for that stuff? I thought he was. Yeah, maybe I, not. I think that he is, but just I don't know. The yeah. 
the actor who plays Mike, I also just like generally, and him doing that switch mm -hmm. was just fun to watch because it's it was so it's so ridiculous but played so straight and everyone like everyone including the audience i think is just eating up every single thing that he's saying because oh yeah totally he it's like you know some of the first time that we've heard any of this stuff confirmed again since cooper's dream in like the third episode of the of the whole show mm -hmm. um yeah no and the, the way that it comes out is really good because of that um <laughs> yep, I love it. I also like how he sort of dips in and out of rhyme, which I think that has happened in, in one episode prior as well. I mean, there's the, obviously there's the Firewalk With Me poem. With his character, you mean? Yeah. When he's in that, right? Isn't, doesn't that happen at least once earlier? I don't remember because I know that he oh, – maybe he – his the only other time we see him like this is in Cooper's dream and then when he first comes out of the bathroom stall. And I don't know if he's got rhyme, but his like there's a cadence to the way that he talks – Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe this is actually the first time for that because he's he's going through this whole thing about Bob and he's saying Bob was my familiar, you know, blah 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 blah. He is Bob, eager for fun. He wears a smile. Everybody run. Uh, but then you know, but then he just says a bunch of non. You know, Bob requires a human host. He feeds on fear and the pleasures we once were partners. And so, and then he goes into the the poem. And I I just like the sort of dipping in and out of just sort of a brief little couplet or yeah, something. Well, a lot of it also does feel like it's. Uh, it could be verse of some kind that's just read out of meter. Like just the way, I mean, it, that's partly like you said, the way he's performing it is just this weird, like Shakespearean gravitas thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's really good. Mm -hmm. um, this is also, by the way, I didn't think about this, this when I was watching the, uh, the episode, but now that I'm, I'm remembering the order of events, this is, I mean, the thing we're talking about is actually the last scene. It is the, the last scene. Yeah. Of, of the show. And uh, he, you know, he talks about how Bob is in a, house big house with many rooms and different people staying in them and it's obvious obviously talking about a hotel and and then cooper goes the great northern hotel and then there's the ominous shot of the hotel and the episode ends and i guess it's totally fitting that 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 in, sort of incredibly over the top deliberately cheesy i assume um shot of the hotel is following the most kind of over the top oration and and right you know, the like, bombast is just off yeah. the charts mm -hmm. in the last few minutes of this episode. Yeah, I mean, more so than anything we've seen in this series so far, I think. Uh, and so I, I appreciate the the, well, the parallel of those two, yep. those two things. Okay, so this is a different sort of Gordon Cole Cooper thing, um, mm -hmm. or it's separate from the scene with Mike slash Gerard. But I thought it was interesting, given all the stuff that we've been talking about uh, in regards to Lynch and Frost and their takes on Cooper. Like uh, the readers have mm -hmm. supplied us with some stuff about that. I thought it was interesting to see this episode where david lynch himself his job as a character is to come in and tell cooper that his weird imperfections and his problems are maybe going off the rails and he needs to rein it mm. in and stuff like i thought mm -hmm. like i don't know if this isn't uh an arc that david lynch would actually write for cooper based on whatever i mean people have said that sort of the windham earl story and that that sort of germ and that element of cooper was totally what mark frost really liked Right. About Cooper. Mm -hmm. So hearing David Lynch just come in and basically chastise Cooper for being, for maybe wavering from the path of being an agent was, was interesting. But also I just, I thought all that stuff was just handled really well. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, um, so do you know at this point how, how involved Frost and Lynch, especially Lynch were on this sort of just week to week? I'm actually, I'm actually not sure. I remember, 
I we should look this up before we get into sort of the back half of season two, but I feel like David Lynch left for the bulk of season two to go work on a feature film. Yeah, that was the impression I was under because the the way that that Gordon Cole the way that he's handled in this episode, and I mean, and I, and I basically agree with you, but to me, it almost feels like an <laughs> kind of a way to keep. David Lynch involved. Yep, where it's like, like we it just need you on the set for two days or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't feel like not. There's not that much in this episode that really feels to me very Lynchian because the, no, because except, the, except for his actual presence and the choices he makes as an actor inside of the scenes. The actual like, yeah, absolutely. But even the but even the sort of Mike Black Lodge stuff that's going on here that doesn't feel to me like Lynch's version of. Twin Peaks uh, mysticism, you know, like it, the, the way it, and maybe I'm totally wrong about that. Um, but it feels, it just feels different to me than the way that Lynch tends to handle that stuff, which is with more of an element of kind of deep rooted horror. Whereas the, it, there's almost a camp element to how, how it's presented with Mike. Yep. Um, and, it's also- and, I, and I like it a lot. I mean, it's, it's, I don't say that as a bad thing. I think it's great, but it just feels, it just doesn't feel as, as, David Lynchy. Yeah, no, I, I I agree, and that's sort of what I was trying to get to with all this stuff. It's interesting to me that that uh, David Lynch is literally on screen as Gordon Cole during all of these scenes that feel like things that would not ever actually appear as scenes in his episodes, yeah. Unless uh, unless it was part of uh, an impossible to avoid major major storyline, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know it. It actually honestly adds a cohesiveness to the whole thing to me to have David Lynch sitting in there during all that stuff going on. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. But I, it makes me wonder, again, like we've sort of talked about with some other stuff, like were he um, an active showrunner in the modern sense, I don't know that this is what would be going on right now. Yeah, like, I th- I they, if they're like, right. yeah, you showrunner, come be on this episode. Like, <laughs> he, like yeah. if, if it was, you know, um, like matthew weiner or aaron sorkin or joss whedon like anyone any any sort of modern name that is that does that is in charge of big high concept television you know they would come in and just rewrite the script before they ever stepped in front of the camera for it whereas it feels like lynch was like gordon cole's back (laughs) doing the stuff we talked about two months ago great okay let's go (laughs) i mean i'm sure that's not what it was but that's the the feeling that i get Uh uh, from watching this but yep anyway yep yep yep. gordon cole Mm -hmm. you want to talk about uh audrey her old thing <laughs> uh yeah, I'm trying to think about how that um how that weaves in and out with Cooper and Gordon, but I guess that he just they're just kind of completely on separate threads, they're, aren't they're they? They're kind of on separate threads. Yeah, I mean Cooper is obviously part of both of those things, but there's not really any back and forth because the Audrey stuff is all pretty self-contained. It's just Audrey waking up and you know Cooper's there. Oh, right. It's because the episode starts with those guys bringing her back. Not starts, but the first scene uh, with Cooper is a continuation of of last week's thread where they've brought Audrey back and she's mm-hmm. recuperating after being strung out on heroin. Recuperating? Oh, yeah. She's, yep. She's just, yep. <laughs> mm. um, and then she's, she's sort only, of murmuring yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, yeah, Daddy, can you see me? And she's like, having this sort of a ima- re- choking kind of experience that she's describing, uh, you know, in her mind. Um, the only crossover point really, I guess, is that uh, Truman 
IDs Jean Renault as the brother of Jacques and Bernard. And then Cooper, Cooper has this sort of epiphany and he says, I went out of my jurisdiction twice. I violated my professional code. And now Audrey has paid the price that rhymes. Um, and you know, he, he talks about how the second time he does this, he's done this. So this, that in that way, it connects to the Gordon Cole stuff, right? Because Gordon basically comes in right then and is like, "Are you going crazy? <laughs> you know, are you yeah. getting are you getting too far out of your depth?" Yeah, uh, yeah right after but, Cooper has that realization himself. And but other than that, the stuff's all all pretty independent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, really, that's kind of the end of Audrey in this episode too. At that point, her kidnapping thread entirely starts dovetailing into the into well, Cooper starts dealing with Ben Horn, and that gets into the mill thread because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, not. I guess it doesn't really get into the mill thread. The entire episode, I uh, or when when the um, Josie stuff started like rearing its head, and she was in there talking to Ben about how she had to leave, but she wanted her money. I kept expecting him to just hand her the briefcase full of cash, and for that to connect. But it, there's actually no real connection between those threads in this episode. I guess no. There's there's really not. I mean, it the. The Audrey thing ends with, you know, Ben showing up the following morning and Audrey clearly being disgusted. <laughs> well, she's like, I, I heard a lot, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and, and so I tell me if I'm going too far out on a limb here. There's a he, Ben Horn, you know, she says, I heard a lot, right? As you say. And then and then uh, he says, we'll sort it out. And she says, yes, daddy, you and I. And I feel like that is a maybe a double reference both to their – to being at One-Eyed Jack's and her being masked while he sort of pawing at her. Mm-hmm. Also, could it possibly be a reference to the stupid James song that says you and I all the time? <laughs> or is that just I, it's way too terrible? I hope that it is. How would that, how would that connect? I don't know. I don't Wasn't really... she in One-Eyed Jack's for the duration of that song being created? Oh, I don't think... No, I don't and think... And becoming a top 40 hit yeah. on Twin Peaks on Double R Jukebox. <laughs> I don't think she. I don't think fictionally she's referencing it. It's just, it just seemed. It just. I, I don't know. Oh, because it was so portentous the way that she says that, and I'm like, am I supposed to remember that stupid song? Because I do. <laughs> I don't think you were. Um, yeah, probably. Yes, not. Daddy, you and I, and then it cuts <laughs> to Donna <laughs> and Maddie <laughs> going, you and I. <laughs> um, so I guess we can we can talk about the. Uh, you want to go from that into the sort of Josie Ben Leland shenanigans? Yeah, man. Okay, so I'm I'm probably a bad person, and everyone who listens to this is going to just say, "What? Why are you even ten percent interested in this?" But in this episode, I was ten percent interested in this stuff, or I kept being that. Like, the, okay, in, explain to me. So why the, and the how. I, I, things kept just getting just to the edge of me being like, "Okay, this is an interesting twist," and then it would just push it so far over the edge into cheesy scheming that I couldn't deal with it. Well, th- that's how I felt about the. So I got in- I got increasingly interested in this stuff basically as the episode went on. So I was least interested the earliest when it's just Josie and that other guy Jonathan or Mr. Lee or whatever his name is. I did like that her just, accent was way less when yeah, she was yeah, talking I like to that. that I like that as a jo- as an overall like acting sort of like, I don't know if that was a choice on the character's part to to sort of be like, look, this is not who I actually am. Or if that was a direct, that's not new to this. That's not new to this episode. Is it? Oh, maybe I guess she always has a little bit less of an accent when she's talking to him. I just noticed it more this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like him just going on about the, like one way ticket and just like, I don't care what you guys are talking about. Like this, it just constantly, this guy shows up 
and and just is shitty and then she hates it right. and like then she goes and meets with Ben Horn to demand her money and it's just it's just a, such a reminder to me that basically Josie's life is just to have shitty men just skis all over her like it's just yep it's so inf- it's so <laughs> tiresome there's Hank Ben Jonathan like all these guys are just constantly just yep. like slobbering all over it's, her face it's really it's unfortunate just, like, cut i guess it out the, already i guess the the um the sort of peaks and valleys of this are yeah i didn't really care what they were talking about in the uh when when josie was talking to that guy back at the at, at her house by the by the mill mm-hmm. um but at least it was like okay there's some complicating factors going on here but then like you said it just kept going and i was like geez can you just just enough and then Josie and Ben Horn were sort of playing their little game, but then mm-hmm. when they got right next to each other and they're like, and I yeah. have a secret <laughs> deposit box in yeah, another town, good. I was like, yeah. okay, just shh, 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 like this could... You know, you didn't like that? You didn't like that they have this, like, I liked how just I like I liked the idea of it a lot. I thought it was just ridiculous, yeah. but it felt like both, neither of those actors were really feeling it. Like the oh, I, I agree. Like I just, know. It, that I totally agree it, with. It felt that, like it was yes. like writing to the moment that then they didn't actually, but it didn't get to it in the show and it just felt... It, mm-hmm. The moment itself fell flat. Like I liked that. Like when when those characters and previously Catherine were like at their most. We are all peers of just being malevolent cutthroat maniacs. That's when those characters are at their best. When Josie's not like being put in the position of just sort of being sad or being like slobbered on. But when she's actually able to just like crush people's faces, like it's it's way better. But that that the specifics of that was just so cheesy but like no i i agree but and, i, li- I like that the thing ended with ben better on just being like well played as she leaves where it's just like mm-hmm. ben because you know like it's rare that ben actually feels like maybe he got bested in any capacity and i mm-hmm. guess that he legitimately did then yeah i can tell so he just straight up gave her the five million dollar check from tokyo yeah because it's that- well they said stalemate and then josie said cash and he then just says okay well here you go i've got five million dollars which of course then immediately is going to go into a completely dangerous place, right? Uh, because when he went and talked to was Tajimura, is that the Tajimura? Yeah. Uh, he said, "I think I'm going to pull out. Maybe I'll take that check." Right. <laughs> which yep. is like, <laughs> yep. And Ben puts on the schmooze. Yep. Which <laughs> it's all like, I don't know. But the the cheesy over the top garbage of it is all just a little bit too much, and I kind of can't deal with. Mm-hmm. Any of the like know. Asian yeah, business interest arcs from whichever direction they're coming, yeah, but it's... at the same time, I like that somehow like it feels like the mill shenanigans got back on their feet a tiny bit in this just because Ben Horn is actually in a tough spot right now for the first time in a long ass time. I well, guess m- my favorite stuff throughout this whole thread was basically anytime Leland was there. Oh man, I forgot that that scene was there. Yeah. So one Leland comes by Ben Horns to say he's okay. And this is actually the first time in the entire series. Like there's not a, because, because Leland is like sidelined so early on by Laura's death. Um, this is the first time we ever see him being competent at anything. It's why you see, well, he's, he's competent and a little bit malicious, but you can see why Ben and Jerry like him and keep him around as their, well, yeah, clearly. I mean, he's the lawyer for these like scheming bros. So obviously like, of course he's, he's knows how to like weirdly work the system to achieve all kinds of like complex maneuvers. Um, so that, that I liked because it actually finally shows what this guy's point is as a as an actual character in this world and not just as an insane person. And not just also as not just the victim's father, which is, right. you know, right. Yeah. Uh, and then also, um, 
<laughs> there's a moment where uh, Leland is like sitting on the couch in that scene, and he there's like a stuffed fox or something behind him, and Leland just seems totally confused by its <laughs> yeah, by its present, and he pulls a clump of hair off it, and then like tucks it into his inside jacket pocket. It's amazing. So even while he's being sort of hyper-confident or competent and lucid, he still is just in weird, like, la-la land Leland mode, (laughs) which is good. And then, you know, that that happens again sort of when they're at the the Great Northern, like, restaurant or whatever, and, uh, and Leland gets up and starts singing you know crooning basically doing what he does yeah yep doing what he does and then and ben is like oh i see the old temporary insanity defense great job i don't think that's clear that that's what leland is actually <laughs> no intending. i think leland but, might have just been having uh a, an actual leland insanity yeah but then uh then there's this just like great whole side thing happening between pete and tajamura or pete's the king and i do you, do you like musicals? Taj Ward's like, no. And Pete won't let this go for some reason. He just keeps like hammering on about it. So Pete's generally pretty good. But does he just buy him a martini or something? He buys him a cocktail. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Good. Yep. Oh, man. I feel like we're missing some stuff. Um, there's Shelly and Leo and there's Nadine. I mean, Nadine, uh, there's, as is the case, there's one scene with Nadine being being ridiculous so nadine gets home with like shopping bags just punches the shit out of egg uh, out of ed out of egg out of egg out of ed and then the only thing that i really like have to say about this is that she does an amazing job pouncing on him on the couch where she just like leaps onto him perfect and it's like perfect like she with all like it's she pins him down on the couch in like just one move Yep, well, that is really well done. She does a great job. She has progressive that. high school cheerleader gymnast super strength. So I guess that uh, <laughs> that actress was imbued with the power of the perfect pounce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's about um, all I got to say about Nadine. Leo's birthday? No, not Leo's birthday. Leo's welcome home thing. Yeah, well, they they Pre- first predictably yeah. they get totally dicked over because Bobby doesn't know how actual how insurance work. works or anything. Yeah. But man, another, I mean, this is another thing of Bobby being like impotently baffled, which yep. is just a, like a, there are a lot of men man, of he was back who spend the, most of their time in that state. Bobby being imp- uh, impotently baffled is entirely when his like I smell something bad and I'm mad about it face yes. comes out like to the <laughs> max, really where he just is. looks kind of indignant that the world exists, but mm-hmm. he's also not sure why. Yep. Um, but <laughs> I guess all of the caretakers that they are all people that they have coming in involved in leo's home care are just basically weird vaudevillian style character actors <laughs> like they all just that get po- like like sweaty and nervous at the slightest confrontation yeah but also just kind of having the air of speech patterns that should be like full of zingers at all times mm-hmm, and sort yep, of like yep, yep. oh man also that guy had the loudest well, i thought that guy had like the loudest plaid suit on and then i looked and shelly is also just wearing I a know. loud plaid <laughs> outfit yep just like oh, it was gross um i really enjoy the so there's that scene and then there's the there's the party scene where leo is just kind of softly breathing through a kazoo yeah, the entire just, time that was an amazing and i wonder if that was introduced through the the teleplay or through the or by the director but it's i love that a lot yeah leo's leo's kazoo that mm-hmm. that scene went through so many different states that it was actually kind of shocking to me rewatching it because i i sort of remembered a lot of the different 
sort of ways that Bobby and Shelley interact with comatose Leo. And I had forgotten that this scene just like lays every single thing on that they possibly can where they're like making out right in front of him. But then mm-hmm. Shelley freaks out because he moves. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they kind of – it kind of scares them straight a little bit, it seems like, because Bobby right. then is like, Doc Hayward said we should give you the best care and I'm actually – you know, we're going to treat you right. And, like, that that whole scene, that whole mm-hmm. part felt not sarcastic. It was really, like – it was it was odd. Yep. Um, I didn't really know what to make of it other than I kind of enjoyed watching it just because there were so many different contexts that it went through on the same scene that it, like, I didn't have time to get annoyed by Bobby. <laughs> sure, Yeah. So so my favorite moment in this scene, and I bet it was not intentional because I don't know how you would plan for this. I bet it just happened and mm-hmm. I, I just like it. When Leo's face – when Leo slams his face down into the cake, when he comes back up, it looks almost like a skull or something. He's got this like white kind of but, – but white but sort of cratered right. look the way that a skull is. Yeah, and the way just, that his face looks coming up is good. Mm-hmm. And I just really, I really liked the effect that that, that created. Probably, and actually, again, when Bobby is taking the frosting off of his face, and Shelley kind of giggles about it, it reminds me of that one scene that they had in the hospital where it was like, oh, they yeah, actually, where they actually have a bit they, of chemistry. They actually yeah. enjoy each other's company uh, for this for mm-hmm. this one minute. Like, mm-hmm. actually, that whole scene after Bobby was done, sort of doing his weird, sort of confused, sniveling thing. Bobby and Shelley, as a as a twosome, like felt pretty pretty good over the course mm-hmm. of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, Leo's face looking down slightly and Shelly freaking out was also very well done, <laughs> even though it's really cheesy. Yeah, I don't know. This whole episode, as an episode, I guess we didn't open with thoughts in general about it, but it it didn't feel very cohesive to me personally. No, I, just, I agree. It had a bunch it, of, yeah, it had a bunch of great scenes in it, a lot of great moments, but as an episode, it, yeah, it didn't. Yeah, it's, it was strange. Together. And just then thinking about it, it's like, Usually, like where I, where I was like, oh, maybe the storyline with uh, with Gordon and Audrey's kidnapping are going to overlap. They don't, but Cooper is involved in two completely separate story threads in this episode. And then I was like, mm-hmm. oh, but maybe it overlaps through Ben Horn and the Mill plot. Oh, that doesn't either. Ben Horn is also in two completely different story threads that never cross over, and it feels yeah. Well, it it's feels- the same with. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say the same is true for like Truman being both in the Gordon Cole kind of just around for that. And and then also he just shows up in the middle of the Donna thread to not, not care about the diary. And he's in the Josie. He's got the Josie stuff. And he's got the Josie stuff. But again, none of that connects at all. Right. It's, it's like, I feel like last episode for whatever else it had going on actually did a very good job of making it feel like all of the things flowed through each other and that there were sort of implied causality or connections between stuff. But this episode, it just felt like it almost felt like, they just had a bunch of things they had to knock down mm-hmm. and they just, they all had to happen this week. So they happened, but it, it like it, I mean, the sort of like the way that you were saying that the stuff with, uh, with Mike didn't feel very much like the way that David Lynch would do it necessarily. I mean, that's impossible to, to know for sure, but it kind of, of felt course. like he was there <clears throat> just to deliver the information that he had to deliver. And then they came up with a twist to put onto it, but it was like what we need now, right now, is f- like at this episode on the sort of overall story thread of Twin Peaks, Mike must reveal this information. And like right. that, that scene didn't have a reason to exist other than that information needed to be revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like a lot of this is like that. Where it's like Audrey's got to get home. 
Josie's storylines got to do this. These things all have to happen. And then they kind of involve all the same characters because it's Twin Peaks and they, and it, it, it right. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't have any conclusion to draw from that, but it was, it was interesting because like you said, there are a lot of scenes that are great, but mm-hmm. it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like a whole thing. Yeah, I agree. That that's my that's my feeling on this episode as well. Um But hey, David Lynch directs next week, so I'm excited about that. True. Yeah, that's exciting. Um Man, is Gordon Cole in next week's episode? I want to see David Lynch direct himself as Gordon Cole. <laughs> I can't remember. I guess he does in Firewalk with me, because he's he's in that. Um But yeah. I don't know. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about about this episode? I mean we kind of just like puttered around through it, but that was kind of my experience watching it as well this week. Um, or is, is there any reader mail you want to get into or anything? Uh, I have one piece of mail here from Ron Smolik who writes, I've been a longtime fan of shows with deep mythology and mysterious happenings. Lost is my favorite show. I've heard for a long time that I would like Twin Peaks, but for some reason it's never been the right time to watch it. About two weeks ago, I downloaded the entire first and second season and I love it. This prompted me to search for podcasts and I found your show. I'm enjoying binging it too. I wanted to comment on some overall things, and once I catch up to your newest episode, maybe I'll interact real-time. I watched a version that must have been recorded from the original broadcast. It was grainy, a bit dim, and in square format. I really feel this is the better way to watch it than any remastered version. It enhanced the feel of the old-timiness. Season 1 felt very cohesive and well-planned, like an intricate Bavarian puzzle. The strangeness felt like it had rules. There was a core story and characters that are uniquely weird for a reason. It was about a small small town dipping its toes in a modern world. Season 2 feels loose, the randomness almost too stressed. The relationships intertwine too much like a soap opera, and there are several threads from outside Twin Peaks, as well as the seemingly magical history of the area. There are too many stories and weird characters getting randomly weirder. Looking forward to watching the movie. Ron Smolik. So that's just a bunch of thoughts. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. Like I I think that his, uh, his response is probably very much in line with the response of a lot of people who were watching the show at the time that it came out. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I, that also, I think it's also how kind of how I felt the first time I watched the show. Yep, I'm to, I'm so, able to some to, degree. I'm able to hold on to things a lot more in this viewing. Me too. Um, but I suspect that I, I'll probably also start feeling the overburden when we get a little bit farther on. But like, yep. mm-hmm. um, um, where we are right now, actually, in season two, even though the individual episodes don't have the same like cohesive punch that season one had well okay actually let me back up where we are in season two right now twin peaks actually feels a lot more like a cohesive whole than it did to me on the first watch through and there are a ton of inconsistencies um in just in tone and in just execution but doing this podcast has actually sort of shown me that season one has that as well you just don't notice it as much i don't think Mm, the first time you watch it because like we spent all of season one on this podcast being surprised by how different the show actually is episode to episode when you examine it. So now that we're like this deep into season two, there's still, there still is sort of an energy and just sort of a f- like forceful momentum to season one that is not present in season two, I guess by design, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like I guess it's causing me to sort of readjust what I consider twin peaks as a whole in my, in my brain. Yeah, I, me too. I think, um, yeah. but I still, we'll see how we'll see how that goes when we're eighteen episodes into this thing or uh, into season two or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. How do you feel about how do you feel about his thoughts about uh, sort of watching the show in a what I assume to be a like four eighty interlaced? Uh, I don't know if I know, care about that. I thought it was interesting quality. that he pointed out that it was square, but um, 
Well, isn't that true of the... The Twin Peaks Blu-rays are 4x3, just like the TV show, which is not always the case when they do HD versions of yeah, shows, as they, I've they discovered. Didn't, yeah, they, they, didn't, they didn't refactor it into a widescreen format or anything. Well, like, I, I, Twin Peaks maybe Which was I, think sh- for the, I think is for the oh, best. Oh, yeah. Man, thank goodness. Because I, I don't know if Twin Peaks was shot on a 4x3, 35mm frame, or if it was shot mm-hmm. wide, but I know... Man, what show is it? The Wire? The Wire. Oh, all right. The Wire... It seems like they're doing a painstaking job to to bring into yes. widescreen where they're using the uncropped 35 millimeter frame, but then sometimes they're zooming in a little bit to maintain framing. But apparently, there's an HD version of some of man. I think that it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it was just like I done incredibly quickly to the point that like there's just like like boom mics. There's in, inactive stuff. extras in the sides of the yeah, frames. There's yeah. just props and stuff, and yeah. it's like why mm-hmm. would you do that? And the answer, of course, is Back when everyone had 4x3 TVs and you were watching widescreen content uh, that was letterboxed, the viewing audience for some reason lost their mind, hating it. And now the same stupid thing is happening where old TV shows that are getting remastered in HD, if there's black bars on the sides uh, on the left and right, people are furious about it and just zoom in their TVs, I guess. so Yeah, yeah. It's oh. really t- – it's – So I'm so I'm really glad that Twin Peaks it's is too, – It's too bad that no, that like – the the result of that widescreen angst in the nineties wasn't that people actually learned how anything how like aspect ratios no, work it's, or it's, anything. It's, it's, never it's right just because people were satiated and stopped complaining until they even if you <laughs> watch if you watch um like people complain about this all the time, but like if you watch a movie that was shot in an incredibly wide format, but you watch the Netflix version of it, very often the studio gives Netflix a version that's cropped down to sixteen. I know, by nine. and it, yeah, and so it you sucks. have to go and buy the yep. Blu-ray. Um, or hunt out like a four pay streaming version of it to get mm-hmm. the actual actual aspect ratio because even with a widescreen TV that has multiple times the resolution of a, of your old television from the eighties and nineties and multiple times the like actual physical screen yeah, size, most, people, most people still case, freak yeah. out if there's an inch of black bars at the top and bottom of a streaming video that they pay nothing for off Netflix. It's like, oh yep. man, are you kidding me? Yep. Well, I guess that's how it goes. But I'm yeah. Why that. is there all this plastic on the side of my television? Why can't they put the movie on that part too? <laughs> What's all this like extra space in my house where the movie isn't? <laughs> You're saying that about plastic, but the more the more modern TVs get, the more it is just like the bezel is shrinking down to nothing. Why is any part of my peripheral vision not filled with this movie? Chris? You're predicting the future right now. <laughs> That's true. Although Google did discontinue Google Glass recently. They, they discontinued Google Glass, but then, are we going to get into this? But then they put the guy who invented the original iPod who made the Nest thermostat in charge of the new Google Glass. As oh, now I didn't see this one. Okay. Well, finally, all this shitty letterboxing that happens on every movie ever made will be removed when my entire eyeball is covered with my your Google Glass covered with, with, with my your Oculus Rift headset. Netflix film. But then if you happen to take any of those off, fortunately you have that Microsoft uh, like Environ Wrap projector that's projecting <laughs> additional movie onto all of your books and stuff in your living room. Yeah. Technology companies are aware <laughs> of the fact that people hate letterboxing and are going out of their way to make sure that this is all not the case. So hold on to those 480i uh, Twin Peaks VHS rips. Yeah. To maintain the true broadcast experience. No, I don't know. I mean, I really like watching the Blu-ray version. I think the show looks too, yeah. so good. I think it and, does too. You know, there are things on it where you're like, oh, they might not have planned for this to look quite as nice as it does. But that happens way less often than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. Like just Me too. Me too. Shots that look kind of pedestrian in the VHS version continue to look pedestrian in the VH- or in the Blu-ray. But the really incredible looking stuff is just so striking. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. 
I guess you wouldn't be annoyed by, uh, you wouldn't be confused by footage of Audrey on a TV, uh, maybe being a stylistic choice if you just watched it on a shitty TV. Yeah, sure. That's true. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, all right. Well, so want to call it, do you, do you have any uh, spoiler stuff? Uh, like a tiny spoiler thing. But, so we can, I mean, we can, we okay. can jump into spoilers for half a second. Okay. So uh, thank you for listening to Twin Peaks Rewatch. We really appreciate it. As always, if you do like the show, consider recommending it to a friend or giving us a rating on iTunes. Both of those things help us out a great deal. Uh, we're on Twitter at twitter.com slash peaks rewatch on Facebook at facebook.com slash twin peaks rewatch. We're on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash twin peaks rewatch. You can send us uh, email at twin peaks at idle And our website is at twin peaks rewatch.com where all of that information, I believe, is located. Yes. And now we are diving into the spoiler section. So if you have not seen the complete entirety of Twin Peaks, as well as the movie Fire Walk With Me, stop listening now, and we will see you next week. Thanks. Hi, spoiler friends. Oh, hey, Jake. I don't know if I'm one of your spoiler friends. Chris, spoiler, you're one of my uh, one of my friends and one of my spoiler friends. Oh, great. What do you got? Okay, so when I was talking about uh, how this episode seems like it's just kind of a bunch of plot getting itself lined up for something, I realized halfway through saying that um, that it is because we're effectively coming up on. A, oh yeah, I mid- thought you were getting it. I thought this is what you were getting at. Yeah, I just didn't want to say it out loud because I don't even mm-hmm. like telling people next week the killer's revealed because like no, that, that seems sucks. like such so easy. Yeah. But no, 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 don't don't do that. But you know, I mean, it is. We're basically next episode is a mid-series finale effectively because they close out a huge arc. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I mean, it did just feel like that to me. It felt like well, you were saying that that ratings for that episode went way up next week. Yeah, the, next week's the ratings are like over. It's seventeen it, million. You were saying? Yeah, it's it goes. It, there's like a uh, a 1.5x bump to the ratings that season two had been getting before. And it must be because the network was just going, the killer's revealed this week, the killer, the killer. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then uh, the week after that, it goes down a little bit and then it just goes, settles way deep again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. But uh, yeah, I guess that's all like in the light of knowing of that knowledge that I, I, the structure of this episode doesn't bother me as much, but I had actually forgotten that when I was watching this. So I was just like, why are they just, I, I did too. I didn't remember I was that. Like, why are they just slotting all this stuff in here? Like it just, <laughs> what's the reason for this? Oh, it's because next week, all of this stuff, like Josie has to be like, just, I guess Josie doesn't have to be locked in, but it just feels like the stuff with Laura's diary and the stuff with, Cooper rescuing Audrey. They're just trying to clear the board of all of this stuff so that they can have, so they can sort of focus down again. But mm-hmm. I guess the bummer of all that stuff being pushed off the table is that then it's gone and then Laura's killer is revealed and then we're left with Cooper holding an envelope that has a chess move in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, <laughs> um, I don't have a whole lot more than that. I just wanted to sort yeah. of outright say that was sort of what I was getting at with that. But uh, I'm so excited. I don't either. There was one that I was going to read about Pete and Tajimura slash Catherine, but I'm just going to wait until that's actually revealed. Um, okay, I really like no the scene like, with them in the bar, knowing. That, I know, me too. Like, actually, that made me wonder: was was it supposed to be implying that Pete kind of was on to who Tajimura was, or was that just Pete? Being well, that was a nice the subject guy? of that was the subject of this email. 
Okay. And apparently Jack Nance did the actor Jack Nance did not know. I knew that I knew that the actor did not know, and I didn't know if they wrote the scene, if the writers wrote the scene implying that Pete knew. But then the, I know the actor didn't know. And he like the actor like Jack Nance just plays it so well. Pete just is uh-huh. like a nice guy, is like sees this stranger and is just like what do you think about this song? Huh? Like, buy a drink? <laughs> I love musicals. But, like, <laughs> so it's the different layers of, like, not knowing exactly what the writers were implying with that scene, other than just Pete's sort of an affable guy, knowing mm-hmm. that it's, knowing that the actor didn't know that the, the identity of that character was kept secret, but then also knowing that it's the actress who plays Catherine inside of there, and yep. and that is also the character of Catherine inside of that costume. So, like, from Catherine's perspective, you gotta, you gotta feel warmly towards Pete in that moment. Oh, totally, absolutely. When, you, when you're like, Pete has no idea who I am, and he's just mm-hmm. being the nicest person in the world to this complete stranger. But yeah. also, when you're the, when you're the actress, and that actress oh, yeah. has no idea who it is, but he's yeah. the actor How who plays your that? husband on this show. Oh yep. man, so good! <laughs> like, it's out of control. That's the stuff that I like about the, about the Tejimura arc, even though the rest of it mm-hmm. is actually totally dumb. Yeah. Uh, although I do like I don't know. I got I got poop from a bunch of people for for enjoying this arc, but I really like that as a long play. It's the most by by the the way that it happens is dumb, but I love that Catherine disappears off the show. Everyone thinks she's dead. Her character just seems like one that disappeared with the end of the first season. Um but then she comes back and just absolutely fucks over Ben Horn. Like I I really enjoy that about about the whole thing. Like I had actually forgotten about that again, but when Ben was there in the, in the great Northern like restaurant bar and Tajimura says, I'm thinking about pulling out. Do you still have that check? I was just like, Oh, this is good. I forgot that it's good, but it's so yeah. bad. Cause everything about it is bad. Cause her mm-hmm. character is the worst bad stereotype, not funny or interesting, like just terrible makeup. Everything is bad. But the only thing that I like about it is that, is that stuff because I like yeah. when those characters are actually, yep, actually digging each other over instead of just sort of being sad. Mm-hmm. The end. Cool. Of my saying about that. All right. Um, That's all I got. Okay, I'm stoked for next week. Yeah, me too. <sighs> all right. Well, thanks for listening this week. You heard all of our contact information earlier. Uh, we will be back next week for the shocking revelation. Which we all know because we're in the spoiler zone. Oh, I have one more spoiler and it is that I had a cold this week. So only the spoiler people know that that's why I was sort of subdued and (laughs) weird sounding this episode. So don't tell any of the normal listeners that until they've seen Firewalk with me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you guys next week.